0: Hi, welcome to Push Dose Medic, where we focus on core concepts for the beginner paramedic. I'm your host, Jaron Gerald. This podcast was created to build a bridge between the knowledge gained in the classroom and the clinical setting. So thanks for listening, sit back, and enjoy the show. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the Push Dose Medic Podcast. Hope everyone has been well, and thank you for listening. This week, I want to get into one of my favorite topics in medicine, and that's airway. This is a topic I spend uh, a lot of time researching myself, finding better and new ways to establish airways, take control of difficult intubations, and just managing any type of airway that I may come across in my career. I haven't been a medic for a terrible long time, about five years now, and I thought it was funny. The longer I've been in this, how wrong students in myself were taught in school. It was real funny how they just said a Mac three seven zero in a bait don't break the teeth. That's all you need to know. And man, later on, I found out they were completely wrong. Uh, I guess the guys that taught us really had no idea what they were doing, or maybe they weren't educated themselves. I remember watching my first few innovations, getting the equipment ready for the medic and the medic saying, uh, Mac three seven Oh, and then title, uh, I don't need anything else. I've been doing this for years. I got this. I'm sure everybody's heard that before and met that medic. Uh, I mean, who, who are we to question a 20 year veteran that's got 98% first pass success, but what about that 2% that airway that was deemed a failure before he even started? And now after we fail on that innovation, we're going to blame it on the patient because it's their fault. Or was it really the provider's fault for not prepping their equipment, not assessing the patient, and not preparing for the airway? What I've seen more times than not in airway management is complacency. People just think it's easy, simple, and for the most part it is, but you have that small percent chance where you're going to meet an airway that you've never met before. An airway that You have to scratch your head, think, and call for help. And yes, to a point, there's no way you can prepare for every airway, but you can prepare as best as you can by starting with a few simple things. Starting with your PPE of airway management, plan and prep, position, and execute. We'll explain all this later. I think a big pitfall of what students are taught in school are entering the oral cavity and just looking for those shiny white cords. Uh, you know, the shiny white cords from the 20-year COPD or or the shiny white cords from the person you just pulled out of a house fire. White cords don't ever exist. I've seen them a few times, but they're not always shiny and white. You know, uh, you really have to know what you're looking for. And I'm a big proponent of that, is entering the mouth and naming structures. Because if you don't know what the structures are, you really don't know what you're looking for. First off, I, th- I think our assessment mnemonics are, are wrong for the pre-hospital world on airway management. Lemon uh, is always what has been talked to me. It's on my RSI tests. It's it's what we generally use. Um, some parts of it are good, and some have the pitfalls. Um, the L is good. The evaluate three three two method is just not going to work. Uh, if it does, good job. You're doing great. But in my opinion, that. That's hard to do in a pre-hospital arrest where you need to innovate. Uh, Mallampati the same way. If you have somebody that is declining, where they are still alert and you are going to innovate them due to a compromise, or someone that is on CPAP that is just declining, and you can get them to open their mouth and say, "Ah, oh, that's great." But cardiac arrest, respiratory arrest, something like that, that's not gonna that's not gonna be feasible. And lastly, obstruction and neck mobility. These are still very helpful tools in uh, assessing your airway, uh, and they're actually intertwined with the new criteria that I've been using. So that new airway mnemonic that I'd like to get out there is called HEAVEN. Uh, Eric Bauer and David Olvera actually did a pretty good podcast on explaining everything. It's called Heaven is the New Lemons, and that's on the uh, Flight Bridge Ed podcast if you want to take a listen. And this one kind of goes more in the realm of the pre-hospital world instead of the uh, elective OR. Uh, the H stands for hypoxemia, uh, basically anyone with less than 93%. You know, at that point, you have a faster rate of decomposition because you're on that kind of beginning slope of the uh, oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. Next for E, it's going to be extreme of size. So if you're looking at your pediatric patients with uh, larger heads where you have to position them better or your obese patients where you're going to have to ramp them or have a lot of fatty tissue. Uh, some Just basically someone that's going to make it a more difficult intubation due to the size of the airway. Next in A, you're going to look at uh, an, any anatomic challenges. So tumors, masses, swellings, maybe in your anaphylaxis patients, uh, angioedema, lower airway swelling, maybe a trauma that has a Lafort fracture, uh, something in that nature. Next is going to be V. That's going to stand for uh, vomit, blood, fluid, any kind of airway contaminant that's going to obstruct your view of the cords. Jim Ducanto actually developed a salad trainer, which is a basically an airway bannikin that produces contaminant. Uh, so you actually have to lead with your suction, which happens just to be the Ducanto suction catheter. That way you can clear out all the contaminants to get a better view of the cords and have an increased success on your first pass attempt. So knowing that any kind of airway contaminant is one of the top reasons why we fail in first pass attempt innovations, uh, I've been a a big proponent on creating the Salad Mannequin and teaching people throughout my agency how to manage airway when you have a large amount of airway contaminant due to vomit uh, or blood. So next for E is going to be exsanguination um, For anybody that has uh, massive blood loss, anemia, again going to be on that downslope of the oxyhemoglobin curve, uh, where they're going to just basically decompensate faster. And lastly, we're going to have neck mobility. That's another top factor of why people fail on first attempt intubations is just not being able to manipulate and position the patient in a way where they can maximize the view of the cords. So this is going to be somebody maybe in the elderly with arthritis or that's in, uh, C-spine precautions. So that's really just a brief overview of what heaven stands for. As you can see, it works a little better in the pre-hospital world. Uh, you don't have that malin potty where you can walk up to a patient and say, can you open your mouth please? And say, ah, I need to see what grades you are. Um, if you want more information, definitely check out FlightBridge Ed's podcast on it. They go through, it's about an hour long, um, more in-depth on what each acronym stands for and how to plan for it. So now we got that out of the way, uh, I really just want to put that out there because I think patient assessment, even if it's not a full patient assessment, any kind of assessment of what you're about to do is extremely important. So if we can assess the airway initially, that will produce a better plan going into our innovation. So back to being complacent, I think as providers, we become so used to just pulling out what we need because we've done it so much and having that mindset that once we enter the mouth, we'll see what we want to see. You know, this this couldn't be farther from the truth. If it was so black and white, we wouldn't have people out there creating new methods and mnemonics to master the airway. I think in school, we go over everything about innovation, except for what's really important. Um, you know, we brush over the anatomy, here's the upper, here's the lower, it's split by the larynx, blah, blah, blah. Um, and a lot of people take advantage of that, of just brushing it over and going straight to use a Mac 3 with a seven zero for all innovation. And yes, that's a great size to start with, and it probably would work with, you know, 90% of the innovations we do, but we shouldn't ingrain this in the student's head to just grab and go. With just a handle and a tube. There's more to it. There's a lot more things you need because it might not be that perfect airway. I see many times that students, even providers, are failing to set up properly and manage an airway with any kind of efficiency. You know, too many times we run in there with just a tube and a handle and slide in there like we're sliding in the home plate, doing it as fast as we can, forgetting all about the planning and the prep and the position of the patient. this automatically sets you up for a failed intubation if you go at it and look at it this way. Not taking the time to set up your equipment, plan, position, evaluate your patient can set you up for a failed intubation. It's tragic events that have happened due to this, like the Do It For Drew campaign, where Drew Hughes was intubated in the esophagus and later on died. A systematic approach needs to be taken as you intubate. You should enter the mouth with a blade video or direct and start naming your structures so you see the tongue walk back to the vollecula you see the epiglottis. you're looking down the blade you start seeing your artonoid cartilages your epiglottic folds then you can see your trachea and then at that point you can start advancing your tube to be able to maximize that view of the cords you're going to want to position your patient correctly and as best as possible so long and behold the days of innovating upside down or behind the toilet. If you have to, if it's that kind of situation, definitely go ahead with it. And should you should train for that stuff as well. I don't particularly think it's helpful all the time. I think correct innovation, since that's what we do ninety eight percent of the time, is more helpful. Um but it has its place. So positioning is the most important thing you can do as you get ready to innovate. Um if you have an obese patient, you need to ramp them up. If you have a child, you need to provide towel rolls or some kind of stabilization underneath the shoulders due to their larger head. It's it's too many times I see students, new hires, and even providers position patients where they're just ruining the view. They position these patients in the quote-unquote sniffing position, um, which they're just rocking their head back and closing off and totally ruining up their airway axis. So a neat trick on how to figure out the correct position to put your patient in, I um, actually learned it from an instructor a long time ago, is if you lay your head completely back where the back of your head kind of touches the back of your neck and take a few deep breaths, you'll notice it's it's more or less difficult to breathe. You're, you yourself are unaligning your airway axis, and that's basically what we're doing to patients when we prep to innovate. That is what some people call would call the sniffing position, and it's not truly a sniffing position. Um, a better way to position your patients that actually aligns axis is, of course, when you lay them down, you want your tragus to the sternal notch. But to get a sense of it, if you place your back flat against the wall and hold something out in front of you and sniff it, your face actually goes towards that item. And you'll find if you take a deep breath, it's a lot easier to breathe in and out you've aligned your own airway axis yourself at that point. So if you're in the back of the truck or on the floor, just using a towel roll or something to get that patient up at that 30 degree angle to raise that head and push it forward, will align your axis to where once you introduce your direct or video, you'll see a beautiful view of the cords. uh, As long as you don't have any kind of predictors of a difficult intubation. Personally, what I like to do, um, I use a King Vision a lot. Is use the small case that comes with the King Vision. I pop that right underneath the patient's head. It's actually just the right height to align uh, most patients of normal size in the correct way. Um, it's worked most time. If not, I'll add a towel roll on top. But most of the time, it's worked pretty well. So the longer I kind of studied this and always been a proponent of airway management and learning as much as you can to increase your first pass attempt. I've thought of just how do we remember each of these steps, you know, heaven, positioning, planning, and all this. So there's one thing that every medic does through every scenario, and he raises his hands and says, BSI, scene safe. So he's putting on his PPE. So no provider ever forgets their PPE. So these steps are going to be easily remembered by just remembering Your PPE of airway management. Your plan and prep phase. You plan on intubating this patient. You've met your criteria that they need an advanced airway. So prep. You want to have your suction out. Your emergency crank. Your kings. Your king vision is charged and ready to go. Lay everything out. This is not a race. This is an advanced procedure that needs to be done correctly the first time. And if you plan and prep correctly, that increases your first pass attempt. Next is going to be positioning. Like I just said, it's one of the most important things you can do to maximize your visualization of the cords and your first pass attempt. So position that patient correctly. Try to get that tragus to the sternal notch. If they're obese, ramp them up with towels. Have someone go get something, or if you're in the back of the ambulance, move the head of the bed up. Make it in a position where you can maximize your success. And lastly, it's going to be Execution run through your head the exact way you're performing this task and what you will do if you meet an obstacle. These obstacles should be overcome in the prep phase and not as you approach them. As you're planning this innovation, if you knew that they possibly have aspirated and vomited, you're ready with that suction. If they're going to have a large apple goddess, you're ready with another size blade or another size tube. Through planning with your having criteria, you basically know any obstacle that you come in contact with, you have a plan within your reach, or you have a plan in your mind on how to overcome that obstacle to pass that tube within a good time frame and successfully. So if you can remember PPE when you get out of the truck and approach a patient, surely you can remember the PPE of airway management. You got to plan and prep. You got to position and you have to execute without failure. And if you fail, don't get down on yourself. You didn't fail. The patient's airway failed and you have backups. You have Kings, you have crikes. The patient will have an airway. It's just up to you to decide how they're going to get it. So what lastly I want to talk about is just how we train in general. Um, I see we often train with just a jumble of randomized, outdated airway equipment that has no actual function, you know, dead batteries, broken light bulbs, the King Vision doesn't fully work, something of that nature. And that's a completely wrong way to train. That's not what's on your truck. That's not how it's set up. That's you train how you fight. So put together an actual innovation equipment, use a dummy that's high fidelity if you can, Overcome obstacles. Put something down in the airway. So when you train somebody that they come to an obstacle and they have to figure out how to overcome it, make a salad trainer. They're great. Uh, Lots of positive feedback on that. I'm pretty confident with most of the people I work with that have gone through my salad trainer exercise. Uh, I'm confident they can clear an airway and pass the tube on somebody with varices or an increased amount of vomit. I've always been a big proponent on training how you fight don't just simulate everything just don't toss the epi on the stomach and say one milligram epi actually push it actually draw the medication up because when you're in that mindset and things are going south you need to know how to do it you can't just simulate it i can't just throw a tube in the mouth and say 23 at the teeth i need to know how to innovate i need to know the structures i need to know how to use my equipment This helps me be successful. If I'm simulating everything, when the time comes, I'll be unsuccessful, or at least not as prepared as I could be. So, my challenge to you is to train how you fight. Assemble your equipment as you would have it in your truck. Try different ways of innovation with direct and video. Find your niche. What are you good at? And stick to it. But always remember to train with your backup, because not every airway is as you imagined. Get in the mindset of following that internal check sheet in your head, from the decision and plan to innovate, all the way to the securement and aftercare of innovation. And remember, your PPE of airway management, plan and prep, position and execute. If you routinely bring this into your clinical practice, you will increase your first pass attempt. I challenge you to bring this into your organization, bring this into your personal clinical practice your PPE of airway management. You won't forget your gloves. Don't forget this. Plan, prep, position, execute. Thanks for listening to the Push Dose Medic Podcast.